You are listening to Future Voices, a podcast brought to you by Beha Futures Foundation. Welcome to Futures Voices podcast, where we uncover the amazing and incredible journeys of individuals who draw their roots from Bosnia and Herzegovina. While there is a lot of talk about people leaving Bosnia and Herzegovina, we prefer to focus on those who return home and create impact. One of those is here with us today, Ms. Azra Tanovic, who swapped her New York residence for Mostar. Azra is a talented and bright woman and entrepreneur, and we are absolutely delighted to have her here. She is the CEO and co-founder of an urban vertical farming startup dedicated to revolutionizing the food supply system and empowering sustainability through a hyper-local, just-in-time, zero-waste food production, but her professional life doesn't stop there. Azra, you could proudly brag with a rich educational background, including psychology and Spanish science and civil environmental engineering and additional courses and trainings. Can you tell us how you came to combine all of these elements? Uh, sure. Well, first of all, you know, thank you. Thank you for having me here and thank you for those kind words and, and the phrase. Um, as far as my education co is concerned, it's a bit unusual, but I guess not that unusual, you know, given that I, you know, studied in the States and that I grew up in the States. I think there's a lot more interdisciplinarity uh, over there. But basically, so when I started college, you know, I was a pre-medical student, you know, intent on completing my four-year bachelor degree and heading off to medical school for another four years. So for those that aren't familiar, and, and everyone in Bosnia and, and Europe asks me this a lot, so pre-med is like a whole science curriculum, right, where you basically take an entire four years worth of sciences, so organic chemistry, chemistry, physics, biology, biochem, calculus, like the whole, the whole deal, um, and that's your prerequisite to even applying to medical school. So it's not actually a major and you have to major in something in addition to that. Um, people typically do like chemistry or biology. So, but I'm a person of, of many interests and I always found psychology interesting. So I chose psychology. Um, I also love languages. I came to college speaking Spanish. Um, I did my undergraduate degree in Miami, which is, was like an excellent place to practice. They call it the, the capital of Latin America. Um, so I took Spanish as a, as a minor, but I was placed in advanced level courses, you know, from from the beginning, so I ended up just switching into a major. Um, I realized my junior year that I didn't want to be a doctor. I thought I had my whole life, and when it really came down to it, I realized I just wasn't so inspired by it. I realized I was more inspired, you know, by systems and systemic issues and making systemic changes. So I ended up completing the pre-medical program anyway in both of my degrees, but I started applying to masters related to water resources uh, because, you know, I realized that natural sciences and water rights and issues and things like that really inspired me, um, you know, that had the science component that I love. It seemed like it would allow, you know, for some systemic approaches and, and it was a new space kind of where I felt like I could contribute to systemic impacts and it had that social justice quality, which I've always really cared about. So that's basically how I made the transition, uh, I guess, or how I decided to, you know, start applying and get into that. So I applied and got into a bunch of these programs, but I also got accepted into a civil and environmental engineering program at Tufts University in Boston, which was concentrated in environmental and water resources. So I was like over the moon, super happy. I'm like, this is perfect, you know, because I was lucky to have the opportunity to get into engineering and, you know, at such a great and kind of progressive and open-minded um, institution. And I really, really fell in love with the field. You know, I realized that kind of that systems thinking, those really organized, structured, large spanning thought processes are really what engineering is all about. Um, and I just immediately recognized, you know, like this is how my mind actually works. You know, this is where I should be right now. 
so it helped me, you know, to develop my thinking and that intellectual aspect of myself even more, which was really perfect and, and just what I needed. Uh, thinking about a career in medicine to a career in engineering, certainly something that students in Bosnia and Herzegovina may also think about going forward. I think that's like one of the, you know, three like refugee parent approved educations. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm not going to be a doctor. So, you know what, I guess engineering it is. Your story is really interesting how you came to, you know, combine all of these different fields. And while interdisciplinarity is in the US something really normal, like we see people combining fields that we would think are, you know, unrelated. Uh, you come out to Bosnia and Herzegovina with all of your background and all of your experience, and we see many youth actually leaving Bosnia and Herzegovina. So um, many youth who come back to Bosnia or who come with all of their incredible education from elite universities, they somehow fail to find fields in Bosnia or opportunities and how to apply their new knowledge. Now you come with um, civil environmental engineering, and it's something that doesn't even exist in Bosnia and Herzegovina. You, with your experience, are one of those unique and you know endemic people how did you manage to you know apply your knowledge here so it's it's been an interesting kind of path i guess so to so to speak um you know civil civil engineering definitely is is a field here and water resources engineering is a field here but the kind of environmental and water resources concentration really isn't isn't something that's that's done or you know so i i definitely had some interesting experiences some people told me i'd you know not have my diploma recognized that i wouldn't be able to work here and all this kind of stuff but really if i like i guess as, as regards how i you know kind of decided to live here if i'm being honest i don't know if i really ended up here by accident or if it was kind of like fate or whatever it was but it definitely wasn't a hundred percent conscious decision on, on my end right i've always been kind of a nomad. I love moving around. I love living in different places, you know, trying new things. So I grew up in New York City, which is like a really, really great place. You're exposed to a million different cultures at once and it's exciting and great. And, you know, by 17, when it was time for college, I was ready for a change. So I bounced to Miami for undergrad and then to Boston for grad school. Uh, I did a brief stint in Paris and all these million trips in between. But when I finished grad school, I, I decided to come hang out actually in Bosnia just for a bit, you know, be with family, travel, kind of take it easy. Um, but I started getting work opportunities, firstly with, uh, in, you know, international NGOs on kind of really specific water related projects and environmental projects, which, you know, I, uh, I had to I had to look pretty, you know, intensely for, I guess, so to speak, but I you know, just started working out. So I started getting one opportunity and then the other and st things started falling into place both, you know, professionally and personally. So I ended up staying. Um, but I guess it's not super unusual now that I'm looking back on all of it. You know, when I was little, I used to say I'd move back to Bosnia, which is kind of a funny turn of phrase. You know, I'd never <laughs> lived here before. I was born in New York, um, but I always was sort of just drawn here, right? I felt my roots were here. I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to come every summer since I was three years old. So since 98, I've not missed a year since. My grandparents actually used to take my brother and cousins and I when my parents couldn't travel with us. And, you know, growing up, I'd spend the full two months vacation from school here and I really loved it. Um, I definitely know there are a lot of barriers and challenges and it's certainly not the country that, you know, once was or can be, but, you know, at least it's ours. So professionally, I was actually quite stimulated by the challenges here in terms of the water sector and the environmental work, you know, that just exists by nature of uh, our country and, and the realities we face. But also I was super impressed by how many progressive policies are in place, especially in terms of the water sector, you know, that are already in place and that have been in place for a while here. 
um, I was lucky enough to complete an internship here during the winter vacation of my master's program at a local governmental agency. And it was just such a, you know, holistic and inclusive and immersive, you know, learning experience. Um, I learned so much about the water sector, you know, not just here, but basically anywhere. Uh, I saw how much more work there was to be done here. You know, there's obviously a lot of infrastructure rebuilding and that kind of thing from the war. But, you know, there are also a lot of challenges that the whole rest of the world faces. Like, how do we build resilience to climate change? How do we protect our natural resources? And especially in the context of Bosnia, how do we cope with a million different unknowns in a country that's already coping with a whole bunch of known difficulties, right? So I, I really kind of valued the challenge and I was like, this is great. This is definitely something that I, that I want to be involved in and hopefully make a difference in. Um, and when doors started opening up and I got the opportunity to, to live here, to work here and to stay here, I you know, just took it. Um, I can't say all of my work experiences were as great as the initial one and I can't say they were all quite as welcoming as the initial internship one. Um, but I did learn a lot from each, you know, so about the sector, about challenges my peers in, in Bosnia face on a daily basis, uh, you know, which is kind of just a harsh reality of, of being, I think, a young professional in, in Bosnia or in the Western Balkans as a whole. Um, and of course, from a personal standpoint, it's, it's been pretty lovely. I mean, I'm spending a lot of time with my loved ones and friends, you know, it's, it's pretty priceless. The lifestyle here is super relaxed. So definitely not New York and the weather is a lot better too. So I, I really can't complain. I mean, I really admire what you did and decide to move and actually undertake some professional experience in, in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Most of us think of Bosnia as the place that we go to take our vacation visit our family, but uh, you took it one step forward. In fact, that's something uh, similar that I've also experienced and I've been going back and back and back. I'm really enjoying the challenge. So how do we get more young people and also older people to engage with Bosnia at that level? What, what do you think would be some of the advice that you would share with others who perhaps are thinking about making the move but haven't yet made that move, whether it's temporarily, a few months, a few years, or maybe, maybe even forever? I mean, forever is a hard thing to define in this stage, but what would you recommend to others that are actually thinking about making a move of this? I think for others that are thinking about it already, I can't say for people, you know, that have never thought about it. It's, yeah, I'm not trying to kind of convert people and be like, okay, like go, just uproot your whole life, just go live there. You know what I mean? Um, but I think for people that are already thinking about it, we're pretty lucky to have the privilege to come from somewhere that's, um, that you can go back to, right? So I have a U.S. citizenship. Um, I, I understand that my reality is quite different from that of my peers here. If I end up, you know, being unhappy or unfulfilled or unsatisfied, I can always go back. Worst case scenario, I wasted, you know, a couple of months of, of my life or something like that. Um, so I definitely think those of us that are born and raised abroad or even grew up abroad or have foreign citizenships, we have a safety net, right? A lot of people here are struggling to leave because not only because of the economic opportunities that are provided elsewhere, but also because of the, you know, kind of political aspect of the, if you get Obviously, a U.S. passport, you have a lot more, um, a lot easier kind of moving around, a lot, a lot easier of a time moving around, so to speak, and that kind of thing. Um, but I think for people that are already thinking about it and that live abroad, I would say just try it. You know what I mean? It might not be super welcoming, and there are definitely a lot of challenges. But for one thing, for one, it's an experience, right? You can move anywhere, like whatever. If it sucks, it sucks. Go back. It's not a big deal, right? Nobody's forcing you to live there. Um, but maybe it won't suck, you know, maybe you'll have a great time. Maybe you'll contribute something that you, you know, first of all, maybe you'll get some experience that you wouldn't have been able to get elsewhere. Um, in my field in particular, I don't know. So it would be very difficult for me to work on the kinds of projects 
that I that I did in New York that has an abundance of you know water resource engineers and that kind of thing. And there's quite a clear hierarchy. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's been easier for me to enter into certain projects because of the lack of um, capacity in that regard. Because it is uh, the environmental field is kind of under you know understimulated here, underwhelming. And also, you kind of just get an experience that's that you can't get in New York or in London or, or that kind of thing. So there's something to be said about that. So, so, so on I that point, Azza, do, do you feel like you are embarking on something new in Bosnia? The fact that you're bringing this new level of thinking and uh, different approach to solving problems in a country where perhaps we haven't thought about it from that particular angle. Is, is that something that's also enticing you that you're one of the first to attempt to do this? Um, so I think I want to I want to be fair to, to all of my colleagues here that are, you know, worked in water resources for, for decades. You know, Yugoslavia even had very, um, very well organized uh, water resources programs and, and that kind of thing. I think the environmental field in a lot of ways, not that it's new as a science, but I think it's getting uh, new importance everywhere and it's kind of taking root in a, in a more uh, widespread fashion all over the world, which is definitely enticing. And I think in Bosnia, uh, there's a need to, to catch up with a lot of things, right? So we haven't had the time to develop all these environmental policies in the 90s because, you know, we were busy being devastated by a war in the 90s. And now we have to not only catch up with, um, you know, the, the byproducts of that, but we also have to, to prepare ourselves for the future. So that's definitely enticing. And I think also from I guess from an entrepreneur's standpoint, it's, it's interesting. I think I probably have a lot of ideas that seem bombastic or, or ridiculous to a lot of local people. Um, and I think it's kind of fun, if I'm being honest. And I think, it, uh, I think it's maybe not always well-received, but when it is well-received, it's super worth it, right? Because I think it gets other people thinking in that direction and it kind of, you know, I, I don't know, I like to kind of cause a lot of disrupt wherever I go, so I, <laughs> disruption rather, so. You know, it's also that people, when, uh, when you talk about leaving versus coming back to Bosnia, people always think like it's forever. Like if you leave, you left because you didn't have any opportunities, you betrayed your country. If you come back, it's like, oh, you're someone who succeeded and now it's easy for you to promote yourself in Bosnia and Herzegovina. It's uh, like, whatever we do, we think that's, it's taken for granted. It's, people in Bosnia kind of are limited in their mindset. They don't perceive the opportunity of okay, living in Bosnia while working for the US because you work still as a consultant for the US as far as um, I know from your biography. So it's not about the place you live in. You can live wherever you want and apply your skills to contribute anywhere in the world and connect with people. Once again, I want to clarify, I'm coming from a position of privilege, right? When I say all these borders are in your mind because I have a US passport. So then, you know, the visa process is a lot easier when I do require it and all that kind of thing. But like you said, you know, all these, um, I just, it's, it's kind of a limited mindset, like you said, right? Because it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't mean that if you left Bosnia that you somehow inherently betrayed your country. It's really hard to take it on your back to fix a system that's broken and will likely stay broken for quite a while, unfortunately. You know, I hope it, I hope it doesn't, but it's, it's been that way. And it's hard for people to, you know, that have grown up looking at all this and the political system and all that to be like, okay, let me sacrifice the only life that I have to change very little here. But on the other hand, of course, you know, you can leave Bosnia and you can come back to it or you can not ever have lived in Bosnia and you can come and live there for a year, for five, forever. And you can work elsewhere. So obviously not all fields can, can do that. I can't really say a doctor can operate remotely or whatever. But I think um, more and more, more and more people definitely are uh, able to work remotely in the business sector and in, in, even in the engineering sector and the consulting sector, that kind of thing. 
So I definitely think that's something that uh, Balkan people as a whole should probably get more comfortable with. Um, you know, that just these opportunities aren't really necessarily place bound and you can even actively, I like to actively seek out opportunities that aren't place bound that I can, that kind of afford me that sort of nomadic lifestyle that I'm into. So you're totally right. Azza, I want to read something to you and then tell me uh, what it all means. So there's a challenge. Our food system is broken. Our environment is in a state of disarray. Our cities are almost entirely detached from the nature they rely on. Enter Rudikli. What is this company all about? And how did you become one of the youngest CEOs of this uh, startup organization? Okay, so let me start with your second question. Um, just to get that out of, the, out of the way and out in the open, because I think it's an answer that's or probably, and nobody's gonna wanna hear it, but it's the truth. So just like a lot of these things in life, um, my involvement here got, happened kind of accidentally. An associate of mine came up to me and told me that an associate of his, uh, who had developed a vertical farming startup in Bosnia, wanted to develop something bigger, you know, a startup that could expand into the, in, into the US or into Europe. So this associate asked me if I wanted to be a part of it. And I was like, okay, like, sounds cool, you know, thinking they wanted me to join as a consultant. And he was like, look, I think you have what it takes to be kind of an entrepreneur, you're a leader, all this kind of thing. You have that kind of mindset. So how would you feel about being co-founder and CEO with us? So without thinking twice, I was like, yes, totally. Like, of course I'm in, um, which I guess seems kind of, I think for a lot of people, it seems like ridiculous to kind of just like run into like a risk like that. But you know, like I said, I like a good challenge. Um, and I always knew I, I wanted to build and run a company. I just didn't think it would happen this early. So when the opportunity presented itself, I, I jumped at it. So as far as um, the, the challenge you read, that's, that's the kind of problem statement, the challenge statement that we, you know, kind of present and put out there and, and what we're trying to face. I think I really, and the rest of my team and I, we really fundamentally believe that our food systems are broken. You know, our food supply chain is unsustainable. I think that's been proven, especially now in terms of the, the COVID crisis. Um, the average food miles that a consumer in the U.S., you know, of the food that a consumer in the U.S. is eating is like 4,200 miles. That's mind-blowing, right? So you're eating something that's grown halfway across the world. Uh, naturally, that food is then designed and optimized to withhold and, you know, withstand transport and storage and all that kind of thing. It's not optimized for taste or nutrition. Um, I think our cities are really kind of gray and toxic. I mean, I love cities and I've grown up in cities my whole life, but it's, it's just the truth of the matter, right? City dwellers were inundated by stress like all the time. We are surrounded by grayness. We're staring at bright screens all day. We have very little contact. Um, with nature and it's something that I personally uh, I only actually really started seeing the value in that when I moved to Boston because you know growing up in New York it's not the great it's not the like greenest place but you don't really notice that right if that's just where you are all the time and then I moved to Miami which is like this lush tropical paradise like you have all this greenery around you all the time uh, and then I moved to Boston which was like just the green the greatest place ever especially going from Miami and I realized what a difference that you know what a difference plants make they really like for your mental health, um, obviously for air quality, for nutrition, for, for everything. So basically, um, my team and I, we created this US-based startup called Rudicly, we, and we started building this new product. So the idea was to create an effortless sort of vertical gardening system for city dwellers. So together we came up with something totally new. We bounced all these ideas back and forth and we were running them by our CTO, you know, the one who had started a company here in Bosnia to make sure they were technically feasible and sound and all that and like we weren't being too crazy with it. Um, and we ended up designing this, this really cool, fully automated um, vertical farming system. So basically, 
It's a vertical farming platform. It's easy to install, it's totally modular, totally customizable, super effortless. So we're developing all these different plug and play ca uh, plant capsules that are exclusively compatible with our systems. So it's kind of like, I know it sounds weird, but it's like an espresso machine for plants, right? Like you have those little capsules and you plug it in and, and the machine does all the work. Um, the whole thing is set up with IoT technology and it's backed by a mobile application. So you get real-time updates on how your plants are doing, you know, if it's harvest time, if water needs to be refilled and whatever. Um, the plant capsules are, are kind of my favorite part because the idea is that we'll allow people to, you know, grow whatever they want, especially I think for city dwellers, that's important. So fruits and veggies, microgreens, salads, environmentally optimizing plants, aesthetic plants, literally anything. Um, and the reason I, I say it's important, especially for city dwellers is, you know, like I said, we have very little control over so much of our lives. You know, we're surrounded by grayness. We inhale dirty air. We have no control over the food we eat, like in the sense of how it's grown, where it's grown. Um, and we kind of have no control over our environments, right? Which I guess is true for everyone. But if you're living in like a lush tropical paradise, then that's cool. <laughs> I don't think you want to, you know, change too much. But if you're in a gray city, you know, it's uh, nice to be able to kind of at least optimize your micro environment. You know what I mean? At least interact with plants more, at least kind of foster a more sustainable lifestyle for yourself. So we're definitely about empowering kind of sustainability on a larger scale and empowering sustainability in the, you know, agricultural sector, which is notoriously unsustainable. But I think almost maybe even more importantly, we're, we're empowering sustainability in people's daily lives, you know, to, to foster that, you know, foster that sort of empowerment to have them take control over their micro environments and that kind of thing. So Azra, you touched on New York, Boston, Miami, and you've now seen a fair bit of the world. How do we prevent Bosnian cities such as Sarajevo going down the path of New York and Boston, concrete jungles? We've even got neighboring cities, you know, Belgrade is a concrete jungle, Zagreb to most extent is a concrete jungle. How do we prevent that from happening any further and also prevent it in happening developing cities that haven't reached that populous level yet where we are taking out all the greenery. We need to somehow reconnect with nature and we're not very good at doing that. We're not really paying attention to certain trends. So how do we do that in Bosnia? Ideally, we would start from the top down, right? Have these sort of structured government-based right, initiatives because I think it, it is a you know government responsibility. Um, that's kind of unlikely to happen, so to, so to speak. We have had a lot of initiatives that haven't followed through necessarily. Um, people have quite a lot of distrust from, you know, for government-led initiatives with, I guess, with, with reason, right, fairly. Um, so I think on the, on the other hand, in that case, we have to foster public awareness, right? Like in Mostar, for example, which is a much smaller city than Sarajevo, like there's garbage all over the streets. You know, we gotta, you can't just be throwing plastic into the river. Like, what, you know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? Like, that's kind of ridiculous behavior. Um, so I think that's something that's very easy and it's free to do, right? We can start public awareness education, uh, you know, public awareness campaigns, education campaigns. That doesn't cost money, you know what I mean? Just go around, try to be a good Samaritan, get people to, you know, maybe the campaign itself does, but the actual throwing out your trash kind of thing doesn't. Um, I think it would be nice if we could kind of shift away from really uh, like polluting sources of energy, which I know is, is difficult given, you know, the, the socioeconomic reality of our country. So in that sense, I think that's something that definitely a lot of um, a lot of developing countries, you know, face these issues as well with informal kind of sprawls. So we're not necessarily connected to, to formal sewage systems and all that kind of thing, which poses a difficulty for our um, rivers and everything. But I think that the 
like sort of the, the greatest impact on our on our environment here, I think, are uh, companies that kind of act with impunity, right? Because yeah, there's definitely human wastewater and, and that kind of thing being put into rivers, but we're working on those projects, you know, through different um, partnering organizations. The World Bank sponsors, you know, a lot of water and sanitation programs and, and that kind of, kind of thing in the country. Um, but nobody's really putting the corporations in check. Nobody, you know, they should be in theory. We, we've adopted the integrated water resource management strategy, for example, to make sure that the polluter pays and all that kind of thing, but that's not really happening. Uh, ideally, there would be more kind of replanting trees and, and these kinds of campaigns that used to occur pretty frequently, I think, uh, during Yugoslavia. And I, I know it's hard to say, and I know people, it's, it's an unusual position, right? Because on the one hand, these Western countries have the privilege of, of thinking about the environment and nature and greenery and all that kind of thing, because, you know, they have a lot of resources. But on the other hand, I think a lot of these solutions don't require all that much money so much as they require political will and, you know, a willingness to act both on behalf of um, political powers as well as local people. I, I think there's a lot we can do and I think there are a lot of low-hanging fruit that we can be aiming for even if we're, we're not starting from the top up. If we start from the you know bottom up, from the top down, sorry, if we start from the bottom up I think that's also feasible. It's not only in the cities, I've been walking recently across different mountains in Bosnia and um, take for example Bielashnitsa such a beautiful mountain, such a beautiful landscape. And now we walk through and we see a lot of concrete, as Eddie said, it's basically now new buildings everywhere. And it's like, I was like, what's the difference between the city center and this now? I don't see anymore any, any difference because we have so much landscape and it can be used for like long-term sustainability. How could you, could we design and apply new buildings to make them actually more natural? Like, nature friendly was like I, I just thought looking at all of those buildings it's unstrategic because you have such a beautiful mountain and there is so much of engineering capacity there to include to make it you know to make a symbiosis between nature and between all, all of those buildings how can we achieve that so i think i think the best way to start would be if people were to respect the the sort of urbanization guidelines there um, uh, actually it's not urbanization it's like the, the land use and um, those urban agencies kind of that, that dictate land use and, and what's appropriate and what's not. I think a lot of the issues, like you said, with these um, houses in the mountains, for example, are they're illegally built, right? Nobody, you're not allowed to build a house there. In some places you are, and that's great, and build your houses there. But in other places, people just come and are like, okay, now this is mine, and I'm building a house on it. And what are you going to do? Come and knock down the house, right? And it's like these like summer homes and weekend homes and stuff like that. And in Mostad, actually, it's caused quite of a problem. Uh, because it's uprooted the natural filtration systems from trees, right? Because all this deforestation occurred on Fortica and the surrounding areas. Um, and now when, when it rains, we get these like, you know, intense kind of like landslide uh, effects in some areas, which we never had, flooding issues and that kind of thing. So I think the best way to start would be if people were to respect proper guidelines and if the government were to enforce them, of course. Uh, secondly, I think there's so much, you know, just cool stuff that happens with passive houses, with like off-grid houses. And it's something actually, it's interesting that you asked because I've been thinking about this for quite a while. Like I would love to build an off-grid house somewhere, you know what I mean? It's, but of course that, that takes money and it takes planning and it takes a professional to, you know, come, come and, and do it. So I guess you guys all know how we say in Bosnia, Sam so am I, so like, like um, let, me, let me do it myself, you know, I can do all of it myself. And, that's really not the case, especially not for, for something like this, right? And then I think a lot of times people end up like just not really having a proper solution for their wastewater, not having a proper solution for, 
you know, energy aspects and, and that kind of thing. So I think um, maybe it would be cool if there were an initiative, an initiative that kind of offered some sort of, I don't want to say pro bono consulting, I don't want to offer other people's time, you know, but that offered some sort of probably reasonably priced off-grid housing solutions and, and help people kind of or worked with them to achieve that. If you already want a house and it's really beautiful natural landscape, or maybe that should be the government's responsibility, I, I don't know, but if you already want to make a house in this beautiful, pristine, natural landscape, then at least the least you could do, right, is take care to not ruin it. So I think one, one of the important aspects that we perhaps didn't delve into so much is education and mentorship. Because let's face it, you know, there are a lot of people that probably want to do the right thing, but actually don't know what the right thing is anymore. I mean, uh, all of these uh, standards have been scrambled and people don't know where to look for information anymore and how to actually behave in these, uh, you know, modern age approaches to you know living green essentially so mentorship is a really important aspect of the bosnian herzegovina futures foundation we take global expertise and we try to pass that on to young people in bosnia so from your perspective how important is mentorship in making sure that the future that we're working towards does look greener that these mountains don't have concrete jungles on them that rivers do flow clearly without obstructions or buildings that have been uh, intertwined in, in in their pathways and so on. So how do we how do we maximize the mentorship capacity of all of this global knowledge that we have in the Bosnian Herzegovina diaspora to create that broader future? Yeah, I think mentorship is super important, and I think it's one of the one of the things that'll really make a difference, right? Because we've in an ideal world we would have all sorts of institutions that would kind of foster that support, but we really don't have that. And I think a lot of our youth, unfortunately, face well, obviously, negativity, it's, it's kind of a reality of, of the country and all that. I'm, I'm, who am I to judge that? But on the other hand, they face a lot of like, they're just getting shut down before they even get started. You know what I mean? I think that's something that I've noticed a lot here. Um, when people have an idea, there's 10 people, they're like, there are 10 people ready to be like, this is why that's a horrible idea. You know, like, like, damn, let somebody like have their thought process, think it out, let them decide for themselves if it's a good or bad idea. Um, so in that regard, I think mentorship is important, right? Because if you have the right mentors, they can kind of guide you. They can teach you to, look, just disregard. You're going to hear a lot of negativity. Maybe don't regard it. I'm not saying be like super unrealistic, like do whatever, you know what I mean? But definitely as far as kind of guiding people to the right path goes and, and guiding them to, to think differently and, and kind of opening their, their minds and opening, their, opening their, their eyes to all these possibilities that are out there, I think that's super important. So on, on, on that, I'm going to ask you right now, live here, uh, are you ready to mentor a student in Bosnia-Herzegovina? Absolutely. I would, I would love that. And you know what? I love case studies. So just to show the audience how you can actually open your mindset and play with your creativity. You live in the most beautiful city in the world, I think. So Mostar is definitely my favorite part. Herzegovina is in general so beautiful. I love it. Like, you have this beautiful city that is being underutilized with all of its beautiful resources. And it has a governor, it's like a really amazing landscape. How would you transform current Mostar? Like just a few things, how would you, you know, pump up the city? <laughs> that's, a, that's a loaded question. I would change a lot of things. Um, in an ideal world, right, I would, well, firstly, I would start by, by bridging the ethnic divides that are continuously and forcibly, I might add, uh, imposed upon us, you know, by a political system that keeps everyone and everything in, in this chokehold uh, that's impossible to get out of and isn't necessarily representative of, of people's sentiment. 
you know, Mostar is, is so beautiful. I really, I really think it's one of the most beautiful places on earth, like you said. But it breaks my heart to see the, you know, the ghettoization process that's taken place here since the end of the war. Um, there's no reason for us to live amidst ruins, you know, in a city that looks largely unchanged now, you know, 25 years since the end of the war, from when I first laid eyes on it in, in 98. You know, there's no reason for us to live so divided and segregated and in this constant atmosphere of tension and uncertainty. You know, no reason, of course, aside from the political divisions that are strategically maintained on a local and a national level to keep us divided, you know, to keep us ghettoized, to keep us willing and, and obedient enough to live in a city that's broken and, you know, where a select few continuously reap the benefits at the expense of others. So in an ideal world, I would restructure the, the political, you know, the political discourse, the political institutions. Um, I would unify our people. I would rebuild my city. I'd hold the criminally negligent and the outright criminal political and private actors accountable. I'd install trash cans and recycling bins on every corner, you know, rebuild all the ruins, repaint and restore all that beautiful socialist architecture. Um, I'd, re you know, I'd replant native trees and plants so that every sidewalk, you know, can smell like figs and cherry blossoms instead of decaying garbage and, and car exhaust. Restore my, my city to the cultural hub that it once was, you know, I would make it whole again. And I think it would, I would make it a better home for us all if I could. But that's something to unite people in. Like if you start rebuilding and, you know, creating a beautiful landscape, you don't need any political system. Like you, you just bring people together. That's something to unite people with. Well, I'm certainly very inspired uh, by everything that you're doing, Azra. And uh, you're a great role model for other young people, young Bosnians and Herzegovinians really living all over the world. Uh, certainly inspiring to see how you've made that, you know, big leap, decided to come over. Um, this is all we have time for in this uh, Futures Voices episode. Our guest today was Azra Tanovic, who moved from New York to Mostar to help make an impact in Bosnia-Herzegovina. We hope that these stories will inspire other young people to join us and help build a brighter future for our homeland. Azra, thank you so much for being with us here today. It was a real pleasure to host you, and we hope that we'll hear more great stories from your end. Thank you guys for having me. The, the pleasure was all mine.